0: front, so I've got mine this morning. If, you've, uh... if you haven't finished your Christmas list, let me encourage you to buy the CD that has more than those two, but those last two songs on them. One of my favorite CDs, and it's put out by Sovereign Grace, Bob Coughlin, and it's, it's called Prepare Him Room, so it's just... Uh, It's become a favorite of mine because Coughlin is so scriptural in everything he writes, and I just love the music. Okay, let's pray, and what I want you to do as we pray this morning is pray for me, that the words that I speak would be words that you need to hear, and pray for yourself, that you'll be open to the words of the book of Romans as we work through it, uh, not the whole book, but chapter eight this morning, let's pray. Thank you Lord that you're here with us, we thank you that you want to meet with us, help us to be open to your word, help us to come before you now Lord with a sense of anticipation and certainly worship for you are the God who is faithful in all that you've promised. We pray these things in Jesus name, amen before we get too deeply into this I want to say hello to uh, my brother out there and there were eight of us growing up he's, uh, he's number seven so i like to tell him he was an afterthought but uh, certainly, certainly not true he and his wife Angie are pastoring a church in Warsaw Poland so this is his afternoon over there and he said he'd, uh, he'd dial in so Scott welcome to you I'm not going to preach through all of Romans 8, because you need to be aware, maybe you are, that, uh, that Romans, if Matt ever decides to preach through Romans, it's going to be a long time before that cake comes. Uh, D. Martin Lloyd-Jones, for example, the, the Welsh doctor, preached 377 sermons on the book of Romans and stopped in chapter 14. I mean, there's just so much there. It's so rich. And I used to tell people who were new believers what you need to do is you need to study the book of John, and that's a good starting point. But those of you who have been believers for a while, you need to study and understand the book of Romans. And it's such a comprehensive book on doctrine, such an important book. It's the longest of Paul's epistles that he wrote. And of course, he wrote it from Corinth, and he had never been to see the Christians at Rome, but he wanted to write to them, both Jews and Gentiles, and encourage them the fellowship together hoping to see them one day. And he certainly did, uh, probably not the way he anticipated he would, but he, he certainly did. What's the big idea in Romans? One of the big ideas certainly is you can never lose your salvation. That's an important truth because you'll come across people and denominations who in some ways say you can You can do something to give it back. You can do something so serious that you lose it, but that's not the case. I mean, there's far too much scripture that says God holds us in his hands forever. And Romans come to terms with that for us. I love the uh, preaching of John Piper. John Piper said the book of Romans led him was what God used to lead him to the Lord. And sometimes we use something called the Roman road, which is a good thing to understand if you want to share the gospel with somebody because it's all there in the book of Romans. All have sinned, the wages of sin, if you confess with your mouth. You know, there are four sections now in Romans you can use to share the gospel. And Paul was, through the leading of the Holy Spirit, clear what salvation is. Paul wrote Romans, like I said, in Corinth. And when John Piper talked about his interaction with Romans, here's what he said. Which of us has test, who has tested the goodness and glory of God in this great gospel does not count the book of Romans precious beyond reckoning? How did it come about that the most important theological Christian work ever written came from a former Jewish Pharisee who hated Christianity? helped kill the first Christian martyr, and persecuted the early church with a passion. How did it happen that this man wrote a 22-page, 7,100-word letter that century after century has been the flame at which one great Christian leader after another has kindled his own torch to the revival of the church and the enrichment of Christendom? The answer begins in Romans 1-1 in the first three phrases of the book, Paul, Paul, a bondservant of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. Take them one at a time and ponder what they mean about this man and his letter and his God. In all three phrases, the crucial thing is not who Paul is, but whose Paul is. And this will, in the end, be what makes your life significant or not. Not who you are, but whose you are. We talked about Martin Luther not too many weeks back because it was the uh, anniversary of Reformation in September. And Luther, of course, focused on the just shall live by faith. A great verse in Romans, also a great verse in Habakkuk. You know, so that's that thread again from the Old and New Testament about this important concept. And in Romans six through eight, we'll be looking at eight, in Romans six through eight, they're kind of linked together because they focus on righteousness. Romans eight, as we'll see, focuses much more on the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit interacts with us and in us as we become more and more sanctified and conformed to the image of Christ. Listen as we read uh, the first section. I'm gonna. I've divided the chapter into three sections. I'll read each section when we get to that particular point, but I'll pull some verses out of that section because, like I said. uh, Trying to preach through a chapter in Romans is impossible unless you've brought your lunch with you. So let's look at Romans 8, 1 through 17. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. You know, illumination is important. And there, I'm probably like you, there are a number of things I've done in my life that I I list as the high points outside of my life as a believer. And one, of course, would be, and I think she's watching today, my marriage to Diana. Certainly it was, I'm not just kidding. And the second would be the birth of four sons. But somewhere on that list would be the opportunities I had to fly. I mean, it was was wonderful. In the Marine Corps, flew for a while, EA-6Bs off of aircraft carriers, uh, came into St. Louis, worked at McDonnell Douglas, flew fighters with them, fighters with the Air National Guard, and it's, uh, for a while, it was all I wanted to do. But you know, at the boat, which is what we call aircraft carriers, at the boat, the trickiest time to fly was at night, because that moving runway wasn't really well lit at night. I mean, instrumentation would guide you to the boat, and guide you to your landing. But we briefed with a group of F-4s one night, and we were gonna be their targets. And the rule was, when you're up there, turn your lights out, turn your lights on, turn your lights on so we can see you. And we got back and we briefed our flight uh, with just you know, the uh, four of us who were gonna be on that airplane and said, so that's a crazy way to train. I mean, if you can see us all the way in, that's not really good training, so, we're not going to do that. We're going to turn our lights out and try and sneak in on them, which, which we did. I mean, we didn't carry missiles, but we, we got close to them and called a missile shot on them. And, of course, they were irate that we would do that. And at the last minute, we turned our lights on. And then they told us, okay, we've got you. Well, of course you do. We turned our lights on. We had illumination. And as we work through Romans in these passages, that's what we're looking for in part, is illumination. We want the lights to come on in our thinking and understanding about some of these verses in Romans. And that's where we'll see later, that's one of the jobs of the Holy Spirit within our lives is to give us illumination, to turn the lights on, to help us see. God's grace in these passages, understand God's grace will sustain us and ultimately bring us all the way home. In these first 17 verses, we look back to that first verse which says, that we we won't look at in total today, but Romans 1.1, 8.1 says, there's therefore not no condemnation. When Paul uses the word condemnation, it's a Greek word that focuses on judgment. Condemnation comes from a judicial act. You and I have no condemnation because the blood of Christ has taken care of that judicial act that would judge us for our sins and covered us with his blood. It's offset, condemnation is, by the justification of the believer. And when Paul looks at this idea of condemnation, I think he looks back to a couple verses in Romans 5, 16 to 19. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin, And, of course, we would say with this Greek word, all men and women. So one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. What a precious thought for us. We're going to focus on verses 12 through 17 now. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may be glorified with him. Paul exhorts us to holiness and wants to assure us of our salvation. And he often has this type of duality when he's talking about things like this. You've got salvation, you need to focus on holiness, on the things that you do that draw you closer to God and and conform you more to the image of Christ. First of all, look at verses 12 and 13, led by the Spirit. He wants to make us understand we're not debtors to the flesh. We owe nothing to the flesh. We owe everything to the Spirit. So we need to get our priorities in our lives right so we focus on those things that the Spirit wants us to focus on. And we've looked at Micah 6.8, and that's certainly one of those things where he talks about justice, mercy, and walking humbly with God. Those are important things for us to do, the types of things that demonstrate to people and help remind us that we're in fact believers. And we'll talk about that a little bit later about what it takes to remind us we're believers because we'll face those doubts over our lives from time to time, and we need to understand what God uses to confirm that we are in fact believers. We need to ask for wisdom sometimes as we're being led by the Spirit. James talks about that. Paul certainly looked for wisdom as he attempted to go to Spain. You know, more than once he tried to go to Spain. and was prevented. Now we think that uh, some think that there was a fourth missionary journey and he finally made it to Spain, which, which to them was kind of the, at the end of the known world at that time and he felt that God had led him in his mission in the local area, and it was time to go and share the gospel with those who were much further away. We don't owe the flesh anything, like I say, so please recall that to your own life from time to time. We're under obligation to obey God. And then in verses 14 to 15 is adoption. John Piper I'll mention him obviously from time to time. He's a wonderful preacher. But John Piper said that this is the heart of the gospel. You and I have been adopted. Those of you who have gone through adoptions in this life understand maybe a little bit more than some of us what this verse means when it talks about adoption, spiritually speaking, because it's a process that takes place. God had to do something for us, the adoption didn't just happen, but He had a plan. He executed that plan, and it meant sending his son to live on earth and be uh, among sinful men, give up his royal home. So adoption, the heart of the gospel. When the verses talk about our cry, Abba, which is kind of a, people have talked about loosely speaking, it's kind of more of a daddy instead instead of a father word. And it's the same word that Christ used when he prayed to God in the garden. So it's that word of familiarity that, uh, that he was our example in. Our sanctification is something that means we are being set apart. So it's a big word that means we're being set apart. And it has a past, has a present, and it has a future. So when we became believers, we can say we've been sanctified, and now we are being sanctified. These are some of the works that we talked about, reading, praying. Spending time with other believers. All those things that make us more like Christ. That's part of the present sanctification. And ultimately, there'll be that final sanctification when either we pass away from this earth or Christ comes back. And that's, uh, until that time, sorry, we're just imperfect. You know, we won't have perfection. We'll fail. We'll sin. And, and that's, what, that's what forgiveness is for. That's what the Holy Spirit's for. In verse 16, it talks about the spirit and our spirit. Now, this is part of what I want you to look at when we talk about how you know you're a believer. And part of that is the Holy Spirit within you reassuring you of your status as a believer in Christ. When you and I become believers, then, right then, we're indwelled by the Holy Spirit. There are ideas out there that talk about a second work of grace and don't believe it. That's not scriptural when you and I become believers, we're indwelled by the Holy Spirit. Now we may at times be more full of the Holy Spirit, certainly as we draw closer to God and then get further away. and So that process takes place. But we have the Holy Spirit within us as believers. And we never need to forget that. He communicates to us through other people. He communicates to us through music, through preaching, through that still, small voice. You know, you may have an inclination sometime where you think, I just think I need to talk to that person. I've told you before that when we, when we uh, ended up buying a little fishing cabin in, uh, in Tennessee, uh, I ran into a man that I hadn't seen in 35 years, and he'd been my pilot when I was flying off the aircraft carrier. And he was living in the same town we bought this place and I looked at that and I said you know there's something in this that God wants me to do otherwise why would he bring me back to this man after 35 years so we still spend time together and I always pray that the Lord would show me if there's something specific I need to say or do to more fully present the gospel to him so that still small voice spirit brings us wisdom understanding fear of god holiness and importantly the ability to share without fear because that's a pretty fearful thing especially if you've developed a lifestyle that people see that is the opposite of what they need to see from a spiritual standpoint so now you've got to share the gospel with them how do i do it and it's the holy spirit that encourages you and gives you strength to say the right words in situations like that. So the spirit and our spirit. And finally in verse 17 it talks about heirs. And notice that phrase where it actually, it's great to think that you're an heir. You know, you have a relative all of a sudden that passes away and somebody says, in his will you're an heir. That is great. I'm gonna make money off of this or I'm gonna get something or you know, I'm an heir. He thought enough of me to put me there. But notice the phrase in the verse, you're an heir, and part of it is your sharing his suffering. In 2 Timothy, it's a verse that I claimed in high school that Paul writes to Timothy and says, all who live godly in Christ will suffer persecution. And it's a, it's a given. The Puritans used to say that God has one son who came to earth and died for our sins and every son, including him, who suffers. Now we may suffer in different ways, Uh, certainly if you've been connected internationally with missions at all, you know there's a lot of suffering in some of these countries that takes place when people stand up for the gospel. Our suffering may be job related, when people don't like our testimony. Our suffering may be neighbors who don't like hearing about the gospel. We're not called to be, in my estimation, offensive in the way we share the gospel, but we're called to ultimately be spiritually offensive if they don't like it in the fact that we share the gospel. So we will share in Christ's suffering as heirs. I think part of the reason Paul wrote this too is because he knew that that the Jews and Gentiles of his day were going to share in suffering. And he certainly had. I mean, he talks about all the times and the things that he went through when he suffered for the gospel. And in Corinthians, what's he say about the suffering? He said, this is a momentary, light affliction. Beatings, shipwreck, in jail, long list of things. Momentary, light affliction. I don't like suffering. I don't like pain. But... My perspective needs to conform more and more to what Paul is saying to me through the Holy Spirit, that it's a momentary light affliction. What's the Holy Spirit do for us then? He's another comforter, as Christ promised. And that word, those words meant, I'm going to send another comforter who is just like me. So everything you see and read about in Scripture and in Christ's interaction with his disciples, those are the types of things the Holy Spirit as that other comforter now does within us and through us. He illuminates, like we said earlier, helps us understand scripture. He comforts, he encourages, he confirms we are believers, brings scripture to our minds, and convicts us of righteousness. If you're listening to the Holy Spirit and you're veering off where you need to be headed, you'll be reminded in some way you need to come back to the right path. And it may be other people. It may be some catastrophe that strikes your life. God has a number of ways he's shown in scripture that he is the perfect father chastening us. Sometimes it's gently, sometimes it's not so gentle, but he wants to bring us back to our worship of him. Martin Luther again, uh, and some of you may understand that Luther from time to time suffered great bouts of depression. It's said that, uh, that the confessor in the booth, when he would look out and see Luther headed that way, wanted to leave. Didn't want to be there when Luther came into the booth because Luther would come into the booth and would spend an interminable amount of time trying to confess every little sin he could think of that he might have done or thought of doing. And he'd walk out of the booth, turn around and walk back because he just thought of something. So that's why justification by faith was a lightning bolt for Martin Luther. One of the things that helped him the most uh, after the Reformation was he married a woman who had been a nun called Catherine, and they had a wonderful marriage, and she was probably, in some respects, physically speaking, Luther's rock. And he lovingly called her Kitty My Rib. Harking back to Genesis, the woman coming from the rib. Kitty, my rib. One of his great bouts of depression that we think may have been linked to the plague as it swarmed through that area was, as we sang a couple of weeks ago, a mighty fortress is our God. Luther, deeply depressed, prayed and sang, and, and when he finally came out of it, he wrote those great words about how great God is, and what a mighty fortress he is, and and he could sing and worship and then have more depression, but he always came back, he always came back. Luther said that music was essential in our worship. Let's look now at Romans 8, 18 to 30, and I wanna talk about uh, no surprises. There are no surprises in our lives as believers. For those who are called according to his purpose, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called, and those whom he called, he also justified, and those whom he justified, he also glorified. We're going to focus on verses 28 to 30. First in verse 28, are all things really good in our lives? Maybe they don't seem good, especially if you look at things and say, this is good and this is bad. Physical pain and suffering is not good on a physical level, but Paul is reminding us that all these things have a spiritual component to them. So I may suffer physically, but ultimately it'll be used by God for something good. And that's, and that's hard to grab a hold of and maintain as I go through life because I don't like those painful times. Obviously, the one place we can be called back to to understand that would be the book of Job. Nobody, nobody has suffered the way Job suffered. And Job was allowed to suffer, and God knew he was suffering, <clears throat> but had a plan in mind, was doing something through all that suffering. So if you read the book of Job, you see what he went through, and then at the end, what happens? He was called to simply worship God. He had a lot of questions for God. God didn't answer him, but God basically told him, you need to worship me, Job. I understand what needs to be done. I understand the good things that can come out of this in your life, Job. He understands the good things that can come out of the pain and suffering in our lives, too. And it's not just pain and suffering. He blesses us in so many rich ways, so it's a combination of things that he says All these things work together for good. Then, in verse 29, we are being conformed to the image of Christ. And that's the process we talked about that involves you. There are things that you and I need to do in that conformity to the image of Christ practical things, spiritual things. We need to spend time with other people, as tough as that may be at times. We need to read, we need to pray. I mean, those are things for our benefit. There may be days, and there certainly have been with me, when it's more difficult to do on a certain day, or I just don't want to do it, but I get called back to that because it's what works in my life as a believer. And it includes suffering. Here's what Peter says. First Peter 1, 3-7. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. See, salvation is just like sanctification that we talked about. There's a past, present, and a future component. I was saved. I'm being saved. I'm being kept by Christ and the Holy Spirit, and ultimately Either when I pass away or when Christ returns, I will be saved. Now it's kind of this tension that takes place in our lives, isn't it? Someday we'll have eternal life because of the work of Christ and the blood of Christ. Verse 30. Paul says it leads to our glorification. Here's what Paul says in Colossians about that. If then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death therefore what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, Passion evil desire and covetousness, which is idolatry on account of these the wrath of God is coming In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away anger wrath Malice slander and obscene talk from your mouth We've been changed. We've been changed We need to live before the Lord as if those things have really made an impact in our life. <laughs> Most of you probably don't know the name Gordon MacDonald, but back in the 70s and 80s, I think it was, Gordon MacDonald was the pastor of a large New England church. Went on to become the uh, president of uh, an organization called University Christian Fellowship, which is on College and university campuses. It's a gathering place for students to come and study the Word and, uh, and meet the Lord, in some cases, for the first time. So, Gordon MacDonald made a decision that uh, would definitely damage him in the church when he had an affair. He was confronted about it, he was incredibly repentant and contrite about what had happened. He took a season off from any type of ministry and there were those who ministered to him to work with him throughout this process. One gentleman uh, came to work with him and here's what McDonald said to him. He said, so, you're a Calvinist. And the gentleman said, I am. Then you understand that there's enough evil in us still to cover the entire world. And that's what we're confronted with at times when it comes to temptation. That's what the Holy Spirit can do in our lives, is to, is to keep us from the sin that so easily besets us. That's where your study comes in so importantly. Psalm 119.11. Remember that? And I always remember it in the King James, because I learned it as a kid, But it's thy word have I hid in my heart, that I might not sin against God. So the Word is a powerful way that you and I can be kept from sin because the Holy Spirit reminds us of those verses and reminds us we need to head in a different direction. Let's look at uh, Romans eight, thirty-one to 39 now. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? That's you and me who are believers. Who shall bring any charge against you? It's God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. I love the last part of that section of verses too. And I like to tell people he's got this long list of things that can't separate us. And it seems like he's going, you know, in case I missed anything, let me just say this, nothing in all creation can separate us from the love of God. And that's an important thought for us to dwell on too. First of all, verse 35, no separation from Christ. That's what I talked about at the beginning. I want you to take at least one thing from this, is God's grace is greater than anything you and I can do. God's forgiveness is greater than anything you and I can do. And I've said before that what what matters to me in forgiveness, since I've been forgiven for everything past, present, and future, what's important about forgiveness it's one of those things that helps me understand that I'm in fact a believer because my confession of sin says okay Lord I agree with you this thing that I've done is sin so me agreeing with God on that is very important as an indication that I'm in fact a believer the lot of the unredeemed is eternal separation remember in the book of Luke uh, Lazarus is a uh, part of that too where the man who was in hell asked uh, can you take a, a dip of water to people that I knew and, and touch the tip of their tongues and keep them from this great disaster and then in Revelation 7 it talks about uh, the things that are to come for us as believers as well as the difficulties that are being faced by those who are suffering persecution sin can no longer separate us from Christ these are relational terms. We've talked about the judicial, but this idea is now relational. In our relationship with Christ, sin cannot separate us from Christ. Verses 36 to 39, more than conquerors. More than conquerors. Death has been defeated. Don't you love those verses in Romans about having all your tears wiped away because of Christ? And the, word, the Greek word for conquerors here is the same word that's used for the word Nike. You know, not the shoes necessarily, but, uh, but those who were conquering things. More than conquerors. In all of the situation Paul mentions, which is tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword, none of these can stop us. None of these can stop us. We're already victorious through the blood of Christ Satan has been defeated forever in your life and mine. And then in verse 39, again, as if it wasn't enough one time, no separation from Christ. No separation from Christ. And you can work through yourself some of those different things in that verse that says, not death. And he goes to extremes, doesn't he, here? Neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, things in the future, powers, height, depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's not about how much you love God, but how much he loves you. That's what we've been seeing in Romans 8. What we need to look at today then as a result of those things we've talked about, number one, live your life with a sense of thankfulness for the grace of God in your life. And that hopefully drives us more and more to obedience. Secondly, remind yourself often of the Lord's refining actions in your life and the grace of God. Life at times will be difficult and you and I will fail. God's grace is always at work. I like to tell people that I'm, and I know we don't do communion every week, but I love communion. You know, I've been in churches that do it every week. And communion to me, and you'll see this in a lot of people's writings, communion is seen by many as a means of grace. Doesn't mean it necessarily brings us salvation, But it's a means of grace as it reminds us of the gift that we have through the blood of Christ. So when we're called to savor the body, think to yourself, this is the body of Christ, represents the body of Christ. Not actually, but it represents the body of Christ. And then with the cup, this represents the blood of Christ and all that it's done for me. So we're called back to that. Hopefully you were this morning each time we share communion. And finally, you're forgiven, and nothing in all creation can change that, nothing. We used to have a uh, a set of classes in the church we went to in St. Louis, and they were called Sonship. And what they focused on is the difference between orphans and sons and daughters of God. And the basic teaching was, you're a son or daughter of God, you need to reflect upon that and act like you're dearly loved and forgiven by someone as opposed to feeling like an orphan and nobody cares about you. Hopefully your understanding will be encouraged today when we talk about the Holy Spirit when we talk about forgiveness, all these things in Romans 8. You can see it's a, it's a broad chapter and we've tried to focus on a couple of significant things that will mean something to you in your life as you go forward from today. Let's pray.